SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 58 with guest Marco Russo. So welcome. Our guest today is Marco Russo. Marco is a BI consultant and mentor. He's written several highly regarded books on analysis services and power pivot and is a regular speaker at international conferences such as TechEd, the Past Summit, SQL Rally and SQL Bits. He's an SSAS maestro and a certified trainer and holds a number of Microsoft certifications. So welcome, Marco. Uh, hi, Greg. It's nice to be here today. Lovely. And uh, you were just discussing that you're based uh, near to Turin? Yes, I'm close to Turin, uh, just 25 kilometers, and near the mountains, the Olympic mountains, uh, just not in the mountains, but in a one-hour drive, I can go to ski, so it's very good. Uh, Very good. And so, listen, as I do with everyone when they're first on the show, just how did you ever come to be involved with uh, SQL Server and BI? Oh, (laughs) it's a long story because... uh, Principle. I'm uh, I'm born as a developer, and uh, I always uh, programmed on uh, Microsoft Windows and before Windows uh, Spectrum and other things. And uh, when it came to putting data on a database, I started with SQL Server with the very early version of uh, SQL Server. Then yep. uh, in '99, with the first version of um, um, all-app services. I started working with that because at the time I was working with Oracle 2 for um, data warehouse projects. And once Microsoft launched its own product, it was interesting to me to jump into and look at uh, what was this product about. And so in this way, I started using uh, what was called at the time uh, uh, all-up services, and now it's called Mm -hmm. uh, analysis services. And yeah. so I have been uh, this baby growing uh, along its entire life. And now I started very early with the first betas, also with uh, Tabular, and before of that uh, with uh, Power Pivot, which has uh, the same engine of Tabular. Mm. Indeed. And the if you if I had to ask, what sort of mixture of projects would you currently be doing in uh, Tabular versus multidimensional? This is a good question because um, fundamentally, I am I, used to say that uh, 80% of the projects where you can use analysis services can be solved by using both uh, multidimensional or tabular. And just 20% of the projects uh, can favor one against the other. Today, we are using a tabular, especially when we can get an advantage uh, for uh, the performance of tabular for the leaf-level calculation. And uh, when the development team that has to complete the development, because I'm usually involved in the, in the 
consulting of the definition in the initial phase of the project when we define uh, uh, the architecture and the data model and then the development especially for the ETL and the completion of the project with all the measures uh, is usually performed by by uh, our customers which are uh, uh, the, the customer that asks us to to help them in creating these models so when the development team does not have a knowledge about MDX and multidimensional, and uh, maybe they probably know SQL, DAX, mm. uh, which is the language for tabula, is much easier for them to learn. So when uh, we have, we, when we are in the 80% that uh, is good for everything, for both multidimensional and tabular, we suggest using tabular for those people who has to learn from the from from the ground up everything about analysis services however if we have a company that has an internal an internal team that already that is already confident with multidimensional we consider continuing using multidimensional because maybe they uh, have already good skills for that uh, and they do not want to uh, to renounce to some feature that is still uh, present in multidimensional but still not present in a tabular, and there are a few details that uh, that we can dig up if you want. But yeah. in general, I I would say that uh, there are a few a few scenarios where where tabular is very good, and um, and of course we have also some constraints. Data has to be stored in memory, and even if in compressed way, this means that we have some limit about the size of a project that can be stored in tabular. But uh, I would say that today, maybe 60-70% of the new projects can be done in tabular, and the other 20-30% we suggest to continue to use multidimensional, even if yeah. probably more projects could be developed in tabular because of the percentages I mentioned before. I, su I suppose one of the questions that I should ask, uh, it's something... I completely agree with, but I'm just uh, for the listener's point of view. Why would you prefer to do them in tabular, the projects, uh, rather than doing them in multidimensional? Well, <laughs> one. Uh, I mean, apart well, apart from the fact that the team um, yeah. might not be familiar with MDX. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say this. Tabular has a very low cost of maintenance. So mm -hmm. if I know that uh, people who, okay, this is not about the skill of the people, but I know that I don't want to have problems. For example, creating new measures in the future, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to, to require to check aggregations, uh, to, to check performance and something like that. The response time of a query in Tabular is very predictable. Uh, even if you know that the data will grow, you can easily predict the, 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 the response time of a query. Whereas in multidimensional, sometime when uh, some dimension grows up, you can start getting a bad performance. Of course, you have to test your model with the good sides of the data. But um, usually I see an advantage in Tabular for the cost uh, of the life cycle of the project. And when you do not have a clear idea about uh, which measures you will want to write uh, in the future,
Tabula is very good. However, mm. um, or, or for example, another another scenario, when you have to do a lot of distinct count measures, Tabula is very good. Yeah, you do you do find performance differences in different areas, and yeah, and distinct count is absolutely yeah. one of those. Yeah, because and I suppose the underlying data model or sitting inside Tabula, I mean, is already basically a a, a list of all the values. So a, a distinct count becomes a really really easy yeah. calculation for it to do. Yes, and uh, fundamentally, you do not suffer of the performance issues that you have in multidimensional. And in multidimensional, you have to create, a, to, to process the entire fact table for each distinct count measure. Whereas in tabular, you can uh, get any column and you can evaluate a distinct count at query time without having to plan this in advance. And this is a huge advantage in some scenarios. For example, in marketing, uh, oftentimes you want to know how many new customers I got in this uh, case. Uh, you want to do basket analysis. Uh, you want to do, you know, uh, many different uh, uh, analysis about uh, distinct products against distinct customers against uh, something like that. And uh, you have a very good uh, good performance. And uh, if you know about the, the star schema, the good thing in tabular is that uh, imagine you have a uh, a dimension that has product uh, subcategories and categories like the, the classical adventure work. Yes. In Tabular, it's very easy to count the distinct products, the distinct subcategories, and the distinct categories for any slice of data. If you think about how, what you have to do in multidimensional to do the same thing, you have to change the, the cube structure uh, in order to denormalize, for example, the category ID into the fact table just to be able to run the distinct count measure, not to mention mm -hmm. about uh, what you have to do about uh, optimization if you have a, a huge cube. So yeah. uh, f just for this reason, Tabular is a great advantage. So I suppose the first thing we should really tackle then is what are the missing features and or which are the features that you run into difficulties with if, uh, if they're not present? Oh. I think that uh, um, the, the, there are differences. I think that the, the most uh, common one is that you cannot uh, have, uh, sorry, in, in Tabula you do not have a replacement for what uh, you have in MDX uh, with the MDX script. So you do not have mm -hmm. today the ability to apply um, a transformation over an existing measure. For example, if you want to implement uh, a year-to-date calculation, so we can talk about very simple things. Yeah. Uh, if you have uh, five measures, so the quantity, the sales amount, uh, the average price, and so on, for each measure, you have to create another measure just to run your year-to-date calculation. Whereas yeah. in multidimensional, you can define... Uh, uh, w with a pattern that we 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 call uh, date tool dimension, you can apply a calculation over an existing measure, and so you can change dynamically uh, the slice of the data, applying the same measure to a different set of data. So when you define a year-to-date calculation, you can apply this year-to-date to any existing measure 
without having to write any other line of code. So when you have many measures in a tabular model and you want to apply different uh, uh, calculations over time, uh, so year to date, month to date, uh, difference over year, and so on, and you want to implement these measures on server side so that any client has just a, a measure ready to use, it's become very expensive because expensive in terms of time to code the measures. Yeah. And also in terms of navigation of the measures because at the end you end mm. up having a long list of measures with all this combination. There is some technique to simplify the presentation to the end user, but at the yeah. end on server side you have to create one measure for every combination of calculation that you want to perform. So today, mm. not having something that is equivalent to the uh, MDX script uh, is one of the major uh, issues that I have in uh, complex projects. Even if I have to say, until now, this was not a so big issue uh, because mm -hmm. um, usually you do not need really all the combinations of all the measures crossed with all the calculations. So when you look at the real world, uh, maybe this is a, uh, not a so big issue in many projects. In some projects, it, it is a big issue, but it depends uh, yeah. on, the, on, the, on the requirements you have. What are, about areas such as many-to-many -many relationships? This is, <laughs> this is an interesting area because we had... Uh, uh, I wrote uh, uh, a long white paper about many-to-many -many relationships in multidimensional. Mm. And we, uh, last year, we released a uh, version two of this white paper covering yeah. both multidimensional and tabular. Yeah, this is the many-to-many -many revolution yeah. white paper. I'll put a, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, imagine this is uh, still the 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 white paper with the higher number of downloads from our website and every yeah. day tens of people download uh, this paper mm. and uh, in um, in tabular we have uh, still not the same experience we had uh, in multidimensional over more than 10 years but many many to many appeared in 2003 in the first beta of 2005 SQL server so Yes, we now have 10 years of experience in multidimensional, just one, two years in, in, in tabular. The, the good thing in tabular is that the performance uh, are good, are, are not mm. uh, very, very good, but are good and probably very good. So we usually get a good performance with tabular with many-to-many, -many, certainly better than multidimensional, sometimes still not uh, enough uh, because you know, you you get used very very soon about uh, good performance, and you all, mm. always want to to be faster and faster and faster. And uh, a single measure, usually a single measure in in uh, many to many in tabular, because your data model is entirely in memory, is something that is pretty quick. And a single a single cell can be evaluated in usually in less than one second. The problem is that when you have a large pivot table with many cells uh, or you have a report that uh, could be written in, in DAX language for some calculation, you may have the issue that uh, because some calculation 
is not entirely parallelized at the, um, in, the, in the formula engine of the tabular uh, of analysis services tabular of Vertipak, um, sometimes you still get some slowness. So depends on the query. I'm talking about complex calculations with complex many-to-many -many relationships and the large databases. So I'm talking about uh, complex scenarios. But uh, mm -hmm. certainly we are in a, in a place now where we can do the calculation, whereas in multidimensional it was impossible to run the calculation. For example, we have, uh, we usually show in our sessions uh, um, a 4 billion rows uh, fact table in a many-to-many -many relationship with a 2 million rows bridge table, and we usually get uh, answers in just a few seconds, maybe 2 mm. to 5 seconds which is pretty good. Uh, and that sample that we show was impossible to run in multidimensional. I mean, after minutes, you, you, you shut down the, the server because yeah. you, you get no answer. However, we still want to, to, to go faster because we know that uh, something can be improved. So uh, actually, I'm pretty much uh, um, confident that uh, we, we have a good engine but uh, probably there is still space for improvement, uh, especially on the on the high level uh, um, on the, the, the high level of the the formula engine, which could be parallelized, and some calculation can be put in a parallel mode, can be evaluated in a parallel mode uh, in a query, whereas today something is still in a in a single thread formula engine, and mm. there is there is space for improvement. Uh, and uh, I hope that in the future we will be we will see something something better. But uh, yeah, are, are there any fee or any characteristics of a project that when you're first starting now you just look and go that's a red flag and I should go straight to a multi-dimensional model instead. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes. I I think uh, if you have. Uh, well, there are several. I think that the the most important one is that uh, when you have um, a, a heavy use of MDX script uh, for mm -hmm. the business logic of your report. So usually we say, and we always say, don't put too much calculation on the cube. Try to yep. move everything you can in the ETL. Try to prepare data in the data mart. But sometimes mm -hmm. you need to do that. For example, for simulation, for uh, comparison with the budget, something like that. Yeah. And we have seen projects in which the the, the part of MDX script was very important and uh, was uh, would it would have been much more expensive to move this calculation in the ETL. In those cases where you apply a calculation in a particular area of the multidimensional model. So when you really need the multidimensional model, when you really have uh, calculations that are based on hierarchies, then mm -hmm. multidimensional is better. It's better because you can express your calculation in a much more concise way. And uh, in, a, in a word, it, it's, it's safer to test uh, it requires more skills to write to, to write these measures, but uh, at the end, uh, I'm more confident because we can we have to manage um, a lower number of lines of code for the calculation, 
So at mm. the end, uh, we are more confident about the numbers that we provide to the end user. In tabular, you can do whatever you want, but you end up writing a lot of lines of code. And so the mm. danger is to get uh, some errors. Also because, because in tabular, you do not have any syntax index that understand the concept of, of a hierarchy. So when you write something that, uh, when you say, for example, I want to perform a, a ratio between this number and the parent over this hierarchy, you have to write something in DAX that cannot take advantage of the data model. So you move into mm. DAX code the notion of who is the parent, like you would do in SQL. Now, if someone yep. changed the hierarchy tomorrow, this change is going to break any DAX formula you wrote. Whereas in, in multidimensional, by changing the data model, you would immediately apply these changes in the data model across your calculation in yeah. a relatively easy way. And even if you have to change something, because you have a, a low number of code to, to manage, um, you are quicker in applying the changes to your data model. So when you have strong hierarchy-based calculations in MDX script that cannot be moved into DTL, then in those in this case, uh, of course, we we don't spend time trying tabular multidimensional just for the expressivity of MDX is better. Then there is the case of uh, a huge amount of data. Huge. I mean, uh, today mm -hmm. we mean terabytes. You have uh, several terabytes of data in a SQL Server, and you know that you cannot uh, eliminate columns. You cannot compress data too much you end up uh, having the need of uh, of uh, pre-aggregated uh, data because you cannot store everything in memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometime also... Do you, do you have any guide uh, that you use yourself? Like, I mean, this, this is one of the tricky things yeah. with tabular is deciding what will fit in memory. And how do you go about making that assessment? Um, <laughs> this is uh, not so easy because... Uh, we have uh, usually we make some tests. I mean, when you, when you have a, a relational database under one terabyte, usually we know that we can uh, store this data in memory if we have yep. enough resources in uh, in analysis services. Because usually. Uncompressed data in SQL Server can compress uh, between uh, seven times and ten times, usually in tabular. We also reached 100 uh, uh, factor of compression with particular optimized uh, factors, yeah. but is, is an extreme condition. So the average is seven to ten. And mm. uh, um, when we, when you are, have more data than that. Uh, we try to understand how much of this data um, has to really move it into analysis services because uh, oftentimes you don't need to get all the columns and all the tables into your analysis services model. This would be the same in uh, multidimensional in reality. But in multidimensional, yeah. you, don't, you are not worried too much because even if you import some data that you wrote, you, you don't really need too much. At the end, the, the model works. You can just optimize this later, but uh, it is not going to stop you from deploying uh, the project. Whereas in tabular, you have to understand that uh, if you break the memory 
available, uh, the entire database is no longer available. So it, yeah. it is, uh, you know, you have to be more careful with that. So mm. when we have uh, large data warehouses, so uh, the, the limit of uh, uh, yellow warning is uh, one terabyte. And uh, above, the, above that limit, and also when we approach this limit, we, we, we are careful. Above 10 terabytes, we start to consider that probably tabular is, not, is still not good, but uh, we still evaluate how much of the data that we have have to be imported into the data model. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. Another thing I'll put a link to in the show notes is the hardware sizing guide for yeah. tabular models. Uh, I was one of the reviewers on recently, and I remember the discussions that happened with the authors of that where they were saying, look, how realistic is it to just say, you know, one terabyte of memory is a good starting point? <laughs> and uh, and that this this is something that people were not used to now uh, yeah. uh, in in terms of provisioning servers with very large amounts of memory. Now my I I still haven't seen uh, uh, companies with uh, one terabyte of data on their server. We usually try to put uh, uh, today we usually have a request for uh, 128 gigabytes uh, to 256 gigabytes. Yeah. Probably with the cost of the RAM, the cost of the server today, uh, this is a good, uh, you know, a good, uh, a good return of mm -hmm. investment for the for the money you spend. Uh, probably the the hardware that supports one terabyte is uh, still. Expensive. Actually, it's yeah. it's getting surprisingly much better. I had uh, one of my clients the other day uh, who was just a, a medium-sized client, and they were looking at a new server, and I was intrigued to see that even that was supporting uh, 24 memory sockets. And uh, uh, it's, it's interesting to see servers starting to get to that sort of number of memory sockets. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the problem is that mm. in tabular, we still have to be careful because if you have many sockets and you have uh, also many many so CPU sockets uh, and you have NUMA technology, tabular today is still not NUMA aware. Yeah. So this means that you may have wrong surprise in terms of performance uh, when you start using uh, a lot of memory. So today mm. you have to be careful with the memory just because even if the, the, the server supports a lot of RAM, the best way to use your RAM is having everything on a single node in terms of a CPU socket. And in general, if you, don't, if you have a dedicated analysis services machine um, or better, for a single instance of analysis services, if this instance runs on a single socket, with all the cores that you have available there, it is better. Mm -hmm. And so that you and, and you try to allocate memory or only only memory that is local to that socket. So the problem is yeah. that in a NUMA architecture, um, if you spread the allocation of uh, your database across uh, uh, the memory for all the sockets, uh, uh, you because uh, the the calculation Vertipack is not aware of the the, the thread uh, where the thread should run to access memory faster. Uh, this is uh, this could be a problem for the performance, and you oftentimes see a smaller machine performs faster 
than a large machine with a lot of RAM just because of this uh, of this uh, issue. Uh, yeah. Something that the Microsoft is aware of, but uh, today we still don't have a, a in the current version we don't have a, a solution for that. So if you have several services on this machine, then you can of course partition your hardware, and you can say I run analysis services here, I run SQL Server here, so it makes sense. But uh, listen, yeah. one of the one of the des- uh, decisions you'd take with a multi-dimensional model is usually whether I put everything in one cube or multiple cubes. Yeah. And I'm interested in your take on uh, what you did with multidimensional in that regard yeah. and now whether that changes given the memory limitations in Tabula. Well, I, I would say that uh, the, the original idea of UDM was uh, put everything into one single cube. And before of the performance issues of that, uh, because there are performance issues if you, if you do that, there is another another re- another you know important reason that uh, suggested us to not not doing that, uh, and is the fact that uh, when you have so many data, so many different fact tables, uh, you end up having uh, not just one conformed dimension that is good for everyone, but you end up having different versions different views over the same dimension for different uh, departments of your company, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I know data, imagine this, for the sales department, uh, it's important to look at uh, the customers uh, as a slowly changing dimension, type 2 dimension, whereas for the marketing department, uh, it would be important uh, to look at the customer as a lowly changing dimension type 1. So the underlying yeah. data are exactly the same, but everyone was to look at the data in a different way. Now, it is not easy to try to, uh, to keep uh, a single dimension that is good for everyone, because these end up usually creating uh, many attributes then then you start hiding in some perspective and showing in another. But this makes uh, the complexity of the data model growing and growing. And at the end, usually after one, two years, the data model becomes so complex that nobody wants to touch it. And they start using, creating new cubes or they stop improving the cube. Just because they are scared about breaking something, some existing uh, report, because there is another important factor, in, in, especially multidimensional, refactoring the structure of a cube could uh, mean that uh, you break existing report and you don't have a way to fix that, uh, other than changing the query, because you do not have the way of, uh, you know, you cannot create a view on top of a cube which is something that you can mm. do on SQL and that solve this problem because uh, fundamentally you define a, an interface with your report and I just have to comply with the existing interfaces. You cannot do that in, in, in multidimensional. So mm. we have seen over the years that in multidimensional it is better if you consider multidimensional uh, as, as, as a way to expose data marks that are department data marks and I don't care too much about uh, creating two different cubes 
that shows the dimensions in a different way in different cubes because I know that they are they have different purposes for that. Then, of course, I need to have a single version of the truth, but this is a problem for the data warehouse, not for the cube. Uh, the cubes, okay, if, if and you say, but if I need to compare data between marketing and sales, okay, when we identify this need, we create, uh, uh, you know, uh, cubes that uh, gets data from different uh, uh, star schemas, and, uh, and in that case, we have the conformal dimensions for that particular view of the cube. But in any case, we have duplicated data across different cubes within the same company. And this is not a problem because this is just a report of data coming from the same source. And uh, this is much more flexible at the end. We have a description of this in the SQL BI methodology, which uh, describes also how to uh, create the data mart layer with a star schema in order to support this uh, in, a, in, a, in a better way. But again, this is not a philosophical discussion. It is just about uh, being flexible with the request that you get from uh, the customers uh, without breaking existing, uh, existing systems. And this is very important usually. Hmm. On the uh, topic of things that aren't present in that model at the moment, um, things like data mining yeah. is another area. Yeah. And so is this something uh, you, th what's your take? I mean, do you think that'll migrate into the same, uh, into the new project styles or will they keep it separate? Do you have any feel? Ah, this is a good question that uh, we had hmm. to, <laughs> we had to redirect to Microsoft. Currently, I don't have uh, a huge amount of uh, customer, customers I have seen using uh, data mining tools. Mm -hmm. And most important, when uh, data mining is uh, has been used uh, even if it is even if it can be integrated with the multidimensional cube the area of usage of this integration is uh, that i know is really small so yeah today it is not a big issue having the multidimensional uh, instance running for uh, just satisfying the data mining queries uh, and uh, having the tabular uh, instance running for a calculation. Of course, uh, I hope that it will be easier uh, to integrate multi sorry to integrate tabular with uh, data mining because it mm. is so natural that you uh, you you get to the table uh, the result for example the result of a DAX query which is a table is an ideal uh, data source for uh, some data mining processes. And in mm. fact, data mining add-in for Excel uh, is good for exactly this reason. And uh, I expect some integration happening in the future. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Mm. And if I knew, I cannot say. So That's <laughs> exactly <don't> <laughs> right. Yeah, I just sort of, it, uh, it does lead to a situation, though, where you might feel the need to have multiple... Um, um, both types of analysis services uh, servers present, but uh, having them both on the same machine, usually not such a great idea, given, given the memory requirements on the tabular, I think. Yes. yes is there I anything else that you, you feel is like totally missing, or are you getting more and more comfortable doing more and more projects with tabular? 
<sighs> well, I, I already I'm said... Thinking maybe, I'm thinking maybe translations or some of those sort of areas. Well, I have to say that uh, translations are an important area uh, for one reason that uh, has not been uh, a goal from Microsoft and uh, instead is very important. Uh, and I try to explain. Power Pivot um, is simple to use. And so you get yeah. the table and you present the same table. So the names of the columns that you import are the same name that you expose to the external user. Mm. Now, um, if you rename a column, this information is uh, only within the data model. So for this reason, we suggested to create views on top of uh, the tables that you have so that you... Yeah in the view the same names that you want to expose uh, in uh, Power Pivot. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But the problem is that, uh, um, for example, you may have uh, um, standard for the name, a naming convention for your tables, and you may have some reason to keep the same naming convention also in your project. And, uh, for example, one of the issues that I discovered, a company in North Europe uh, use English internally, but present yep. the data, just the metadata, in mm -hmm. uh, in the local language. Now they were used uh, to use translations, not because uh, they have several, uh, not because they have users with uh, using different languages. They just uh, supported one language for the end user, but the names that they used internally was different than the names that uh, were used externally. But the mm -hmm. most important part is that uh, the names that uh, they present to the user can change. And when they yep. rename a column, they do not want to rename uh, the references to that column in any calculation or in any report they already built. This is a big mm -hmm. issue. So uh, this, is the, uh, this is the main reason for using translations uh, um, because you decouple uh, the user interface from the internal representation, from the internal naming convention that, that mm. we never change over time because uh, you create formulas using these names. Now, yeah. these that, that is what one of the challenges with these analysis type uh, tools is the fact that you, you don't have the ability to have like a a real stored proc or view layer, as you're saying, sitting above that, yes. that could then be used as the interface to the applications. Yes, I have to say that there is a workaround for that today because mm -hmm. uh, translations are not supported uh, in the way that uh, are supported in multidimensional for tabular, even if we know that Microsoft uh, knows that this is uh, high on uh, the priority list. However, if you use Bits Helper, actually you can translate uh, the metadata. So you yeah. do not translate the content of a, of, a, of a table, but you can translate the name of the table and the name of the column that is exposed to the end user. And this is a yes, very I'll... good workaround because uh, actually you mm. can obtain the same type of uh, the coupling between the internal representation and the external representation by using a language that is used by the end user and the language that uses for internal representation. So, for example, if you if your users are English, you could you could use uh, 
US English and UK English for uh, for the two versions of uh, the names, for example. Mm. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Actually, I'll put a, uh, a reference in the show notes as well to Bids Helper. Yeah. Um, one of the things I haven't tried, I changed the other day myself to using the new Visual Studio 2012 projects. Do you know if Bids Helper runs in that environment as well? Huh, this is a good question. I have to try. You, you raised it mm. because I just, uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I really, <laughs> I was just able to install it to open it, look at it, but I hadn't time to make some tests. And uh, yeah, um, I, I don't remember. Uh, look, I've, overall, I've found I found it pretty good. The uh, although there are some things I'm I'm not so happy with, and uh, more in in relation to integration services. Uh, I think one of the challenges for Visual Studio 2012 is that they've gone to a very flat color scheme, and uh, uh, yeah. I suppose, modern interface, uh, they would say. But the problem with that is when they've removed all the colors and things out of everything is that, for example, if I have a task in integration services and I now disable it, it there's almost no visual clue at all yeah. that it's actually disabled. So, yeah. I think that uh, when I, I, as I said, I'm a developer. As, <laughs> I was born as a developer, so... I was one of the uh, beta tester also of Visual Studio 2012. And uh, the first release of Visual Studio 2012 uh, in a beta was uh, so bad in the user interface that they got some so bad feedback about the, yeah. the, the They had the same issue fundamentally, but they fixed that partially over time. So there, there has been a big uh, difference in the first beta of Visual Studio 2012 and what they actually released in terms of user interface. So I expect they will fix that. Uh, maybe they didn't release this as a preview. They, they just released it. Mm. I hope they will fix it in a, in, a, in a future version because the feedback is very clear that uh, sometimes color are useful. But the approach, I, I remember I read something from a product manager of Visual Studio that was trying probably to justify the issue of the first beta. And mm -hmm. they said, okay, we, we put us in a, in, a, in a position where in the, in the dot we keep everything black and white. Then we start adding color just when it is required. So they, we use color just when we need to do that. So by default, they started black and white. And in this way, they were they didn't make any assumption initially about what was necessary to, 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 to put into because otherwise uh, it would have been probably an arbitrary uh, decision. In this way, they try to get the feedback and to fix uh, the use of the colors uh, in, a, in a way that was good. 
Actually, I didn't mm. use uh, integration services on uh, uh, on uh, Visual Studio 2012. So now that uh, you mentioned this, I, I will be, I will make some tests. But uh, even yeah. if they don't have yeah, the only uh, yeah. the only difference is that the uh, the name uh, yeah. of or the, the the name of a task actually changes from bold to uh, slightly more grey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so the uh, I would imagine for someone with um, uh, some sort of visual uh, problems and so on, it, yeah. it, that, that that just would be a real problem. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think I so. When when I look at a package, and I just glance at a package, I used to be able to see disabled tasks just immediately. But yeah, now it, it's it's not so immediately obvious. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I I have to say that uh, I hope they will improve this uh, according to the feedback, like they did uh, in Visual Studio 2012 uh, for for developers. So I hope they will uh, take care of us, <laughs> like yes, they did for other developers. Listen, I do want to ask you uh, one thing around ETLO and the underlying models. Do you still prefer to have? Uh, some form of dimensional model uh, and or star schemas and so on underneath or because I read a lot of content that seems to come from Microsoft that sort of promotes the fact that you can just layer tabular models over the top of existing systems without doing that sort of thing but (laughs) my my experience is that's not a good outcome and so I'm interested it is not a good idea but the point is that we have to (laughs) we have to it's a long discussion because, uh, first of all, uh, there is a big difference between uh, uh, the use of the dimensional model for storing the data warehouse and the use of the dimensional model for uh, reporting needs. So, for example, yeah. I am of the school, uh, which is a hybrid between Inmon and Kimball. So mm-hmm. we tend to use uh, a more normalized version of uh, the database for the data warehouse but we use a pure star schema for the data mart. So yep. fundamentally, we uh, have uh, we do not use the conformed dimension approach of Kimball for the data warehouse for the mm-hmm. same reason that I said before. Over in in two three years, uh, it tends to become unmanageable, and I I have seen in long term projects that this is not a good idea. It is not flexible mm-hmm. like it can be uh, another approach. Now, when I say net normalized, I don't mean, I do not mean just get uh, the OLTP system uh, and put this into the data warehouse. No, we, we are talking about something different. We are talking about yeah. entities which denormalize data, but uh, in a smaller number of tables which are entities and not dimensions or facts, because every entity can represent a fact or a dimension depending on the type of analysis you want to do. Hmm. So uh, the idea is that uh, in a certain way, we we reduce the number of uh, tables in the data warehouse, and then we change this table when we go in the, 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 the data mart, and for simple schemas, uh, the, the two the two schemas are very similar in reality. Yeah. What changes is that in the dimensional model in Kimball, we are used to use uh, surrogate keys. Whereas mm-hmm. in data warehouse, we only use 
application keys. And we sometimes, as an exception, create keys that are internal to the data warehouse because uh, it is not possible to use an external application key as a as an entity key for maybe mm-hmm. personal mass reason or uh, integrations reason because data come from different sources or something like that. Yep. But it is an exception. Now, Tabular uh, has the ability to use uh, application keys instead of uh, surrogate keys. Moreover, mm-hmm. if you use Power Pivot and you have a star schema, it is better not to expose the surrogate keys to the end user. What do I mean? In, a, in an ideal world, the user of a Power Pivot has the access to some views over the data mart. Now, if your data, if your data mart is a star schema, you think, okay, I expose a dimension table, dimension table, fact dimension, and I create the joints by using the surrogate keys. This is natural to anyone. Mm-hmm. If you do that, the end user will have a very good and simple uh, uh, power pivot data model with data coming from, from, from your data source, but he will get in trouble as soon as he needs to integrate this data with other data maybe coming from other sources, maybe from data market, Azure data market, or from mm-hmm. other systems, whatever. Or, for, for example, he extracted data from a campaign he made on the website. He imported the IIS log, He, you know, something like that. Yeah. Now, when you have to relate data, you will never, ever, ever use in Power Pivot the surrogate keys. It is, it, is, it is a key that you can use only for data coming from that source, but it is out of this data mart. This number doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, it would be better for Power Pivot, both from, from a performance point and also from a usability point, having just the application keys. For, 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 from a performance point of view, because you reduce the number of columns. Because at the end, you probably always expose uh, um, the application keys. But when you have to integrate data on Power Pivot, and the same, of course, is for Tabular, if you have in your fact table the surrogate key, you have to follow the relationship to the dimension just to get the application key. And then with this application key, you create the relationship with another table. You are adding one relationship, one travel, the, the, the traverse of one relationship that would not be necessary if you had the application key in the fact table. And from the point of view of tabular, it doesn't matter if you have an application key or a surrogate key in the fact table. It's absolutely the same. Now, of course, if you have a slowly changing dimension type 2, yes, you need the surrogate key. But uh, usually you do not have any, you do not have all dimensions in slowly changing dimension type two. So and I don't, I, I'm not saying that uh, now we have to create the data mart by using uh, application keys. Absolutely no. But I have the doubt that uh, what we expose to the end user that import data in Power Pivot, and the same is true for the views that you use to load data into tabular, could take an advantage from exposing uh, application keys instead of surrogate keys. 
Now I know in terms of uh, process time, if you if if we need to create a, a join just to extract the, the application key from the dimension in order to expose it in the in the fact table, we're going to slower the performance of the process. I know that. Mm. I'm just uh, I'm just evaluating that, uh, especially for the user of Power Pivot, which has a lower knowledge about uh, how to traverse relationships and something like that. It could be easier having something simpler to use and something simpler mm. that the surrogate keys creates more issues to, to the user of Power Pivot. Mm. Yeah, I must admit I, that's an area I haven't uh, had a big issue with. And part of, part of the reason why I still tend to like having surrogate keys there, I suppose uh, there's a number of reasons. One, one obviously is if you have some sort of slowly changing dimension like a version thing. Um, often I have... Uh, dimensions of uh, dimensions that have come from multiple source systems, and in which case it then gets really really hard to know which one you would use anyway. Uh, I also find in many of the source systems they have things like multi-column keys, yeah. which aren't going to translate terribly well, uh, and and so on. And some of them are like big uh, big uh, alphabetic keys and so on. And yeah, I just I just actually personally, I, I like the idea of having a fairly clean data model that's laid out the same way on in each of them. Oh, I agree with you. I'm not saying um, I'm just raising one one possible issue because uh, when I design a model today, I still use surrogate keys, and also for tabular, we usually still have surrogate keys internally. Mm. Uh, my concern is about uh, the user that will, because again, if I had a surrogate key, if I know that for a particular model, it would be better to expose the, the, the application key, I can obtain this, uh, this information uh, in many ways. I can also create mm. this information directly on the tabular model by creating a calculated, columns, uh, a calculated column in the fact table. So I have a lot yeah. of ways to obtain what I need. Mm. My point is uh, that uh, I can do that uh, in many ways. But the user of uh, the, the ideal self-service BI user has the access to some views, gets the data from these views, uh, import this data into a Power Pivot data model and start browsing data, and maybe start to integrate this data with other data. For this, in this scenario, in this specific scenario, exposing mm. surrogate key could be not a good idea, even if I, I know that uh, we have uh, side effects for that. Yeah, and just uh, I, I must admit, I, I would even in the data models I build like that, I would not normally ever expose those keys. So, but but anyway, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm not. I I, I say mm. I think we are just at the beginning of this uh, uh, of this um, travel into the self-service BI experience. Uh, and mm. we have still to understand what happened. It is just something that I realized that when when users have to manage the surrogate keys, they have more trouble. So trying yeah. to reduce the exposure to surrogate keys to, for the user of the service BI is certainly better. Mm. Saying, I'm, but this does not mean, in my opinion, that we have to start creating star schemas in data marts using application keys. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Because I know that uh, we are going into, into much more troubles on the, on the, the SQL yeah, Server side. Indeed. 
Actually, one one thing I should ask you there too is that a lot of the messaging from Microsoft tends to talk around self-service, very much self-service. Yeah. Uh, and they were thinking, you know, they look at PowerPivot and they said, oh, look, a user could do this. Uh, that's not my experience. What, what I find, uh, even with PowerPivot, is they still want sort of an IT person to do the data model, even inside PowerPivot. Uh, then they'll happily build pivot charts, pivot tables, things like that yeah. over the top of it. But I find very, very few users w- really want to tackle anything in that in the data model at all. Well, What's your yeah, uh, finding? Probably, um, probably I am in a in a position that is, uh, you know, we have people around the world, I can say, that uh, mm. send a question to us. And we are discovering that uh, there are people who are not in the IT or who are yeah. not uh, um, supposed to be data modeler that are starting to use uh, Power Pivot in the way Microsoft intended to be used. Mm. Uh, I, if I look at the request we receive, I, I, I would say, oh, there are many. Probably there are still very few, and just they are attracted to our website because we we yeah. have articles, we have a lot of things. So they probably call and request something to us because they know that they need some help. And the point is that uh, they try to create the model by themselves. These users are usually former or actually currently still Excel users, very advanced Excel users. And they have a very deep knowledge of uh, the domain model. They know very well their data. And uh, they know very well what they want to obtain from their data. And they realize that uh, it is much better if they try to create the model by themselves than uh, trying to, uh, to, to, to move their knowledge to someone else in order to create the model they want. Because they spend a lot of time uh, transferring all the information that uh, this uh, requires. So the point is that in a scenario where you have uh, users that are still uh, used and have always been used to ask to someone else to create a report and they just limit their action to look at the numbers, there is no hope that they will change and become data modelers. Yeah. But if you go to people that maybe never used a BI system before because they were Mm. used to get raw data in terms of Excel worksheet, database-like access, where they dumped out uh, data that was not able to be stored uh, in Excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, these users actually uh, use Power Pivot in a good way. Uh, if you find an user, an end user, that has a big Excel workbook, very complex, with many worksheets and uh, requires a minus to be updated when they click refresh, mm. talk to this user. Try to present him uh, Power Pivot. You have good chances that he will try to use it. But yeah. uh, this user probably was not a user of your system before because uh, mm. he, he, he's the type of user that says, okay, these are the numbers that you, uh, that you prepared for the people that uh, just look at the numbers. But I have to create mm. new numbers. I have to create uh, 
um, new analysis. Uh, for example, people in uh, uh, accounting, uh, people that do control of the cost, for example, in a company, they try to understand if they can save some cost by finding uh, uh, inefficiencies in the company, looking at data, crossing data from uh, financial data, production data in a manufacturing company, and uh, they try to integrate data coming from different sources by themselves. Mm. So they use uh, this type of user. Sometimes uh, ask to the IT, please, can you give me uh, a text file with just this data? And they don't specify what they will do with this data. They just ask for yeah. the raw data. Yep. It is a summarization of the data that are available somewhere. And they integrate this data with other data in some way with Excel. Mm. These users... I I was going to say, I, I have a colleague who used to say uh, the, the the target person is someone who knew what a V lookup was in yeah, Excel. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. If an end user never heard about VLOOKUP, he's not a candidate user for Power Pivot. Yeah. Absolutely. But he, if he knows VLOOKUP, he will get engaged by Power Pivot in a few minutes. Just when yeah. you show how to create relationships between tables, uh, he buy the product in that precise moment. Yeah, that's excellent. Listen, getting towards time, but Marco, is there life outside SQL Server and BI? Well, I'm uh, uh, okay. I have a wife and two children, so when I have some spare time, I try to spend some time with them. I still. Uh, haven't forced my son to to be a programmer, so I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. so he Good. knows that he can uh, use a computer in, at any time, but uh, he reached the is uh, ten years old now, and uh, he still didn't manage to program. But he plays mm -hmm. to Xbox very well now. So <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, my personal interest, I usually uh, tend to I, I try to read something that is not uh, just. Uh, a technical book uh, sometime mm -hmm. uh, not very much uh, to tell the truth i'm you know i try to be updated with uh, economics or uh, technology that is not strictly computer related yeah i play some just uh, i go to ski when i can i run mm. a little bit uh, just to you know to be in, sh in shape enough to because otherwise uh, our work is, uh, you know... It's a very, yeah, very sedentary work. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, absolutely. And um, uh, I, I don't have, you know, the hobby. Like I, I, I would like to be a musician, for example, but uh, mm. knowing that I'm not able to learn uh, a thing in a, in a good way, I tend to, you know, I abandoned this before beginning. But now I'm... <laughs> my My little daughter that is starting to play piano and I'm enchanted mm -hmm. because I, I see her uh, playing and uh, I like because uh, I would like to do that uh, but if she yeah. is able to learn that this is uh, is fine to me and uh, there is an amazing intersection between uh, my friends that are musicians as well as IT people are there there is clearly particularly developers uh, there, there is a very strong connection between developers and musicians yeah, probably yes, because, uh, you know, there is a sort of, uh, um, you know, this is the note, this has to play in this way, there, there is physics mm -hmm. 
involved, there is some rational behind. Even if music is a it's not just uh, everything is not uh, just rational. Is uh, but uh, no, no. On the contrary, I, I actually think it's the artistic side of it uh, that appeals to the developers as well. Because uh, I think good development is is art as well. Yeah, and to me, I have to say, I I'm used to uh, to listen uh, classical music, and uh, I prefer. To listen classical music uh, in auditoriums, so live, played live, yeah. and uh, I really, wh when I when I listen to this type of music, uh, I'm horrified by looking at something that uh, has something uh, electric, you know. Mm. So everything has to be uh, not amplified, uh, absolutely uh, natural, uh, and it is strange because at the end I'm a very technical guy, but uh, when it yeah. comes to the classical music. Uh, for example, um, in, in some little auditorium in Torino, the, there is an auditorium where they, they play every week. And when I'm here, I try to, to go to the concert on the Friday night. And uh, the, the, they don't have a, a real organ, and they play an, an electronic one. And it, it's yeah. horrible. It's horrible. It's a... When there is a, a, a concert in a, in a large um, place, uh, uh, they use it to amplify the music. Uh, and uh, mm. me, that I, I'm used to listen to the to the music uh, played by the, directly by the, the instruments. Is uh, you know you you stop uh, listening the, the the direction of the music because the the music yeah. comes from the um, from the speakers, no longer from the instruments, mm. and it, it is very strange. So when you get used to listen. Uh, uh, the audio live in a concert is a complete. And so when I when I I travel a lot for my work, when I can, mm. I try to look if there is some interesting concert, and uh, I try to to go to the concert when I when I'm in a city and. Uh, Very good. When I can. You're, <laughs> you're also a, a fairly prolific writer in uh, recent years, and so have you got anything else you're working on bookwise or? Sorry. Uh, uh, writing books, uh, anything else you're working on at present? Uh, we just uh, finished the, the, the Excel 2013 book, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the Excel 20, Power Pivot for Excel 2013. And, right. and we currently are writing uh, some content about uh, DAX. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we have a project. And uh, is yeah. this in conjunction with Alberto? Yes, yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I, I and Alberto... Uh, started working together and uh, more or less in reality there is some in our activity we we can split our job so there is something that I I do better than Alberto just because I I like more and uh, Alberto likes more something else but uh, in reality on uh, power pivot and dax uh, we cover pretty much uh, the same things yeah. and uh, being in two we are able to to split the 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 work of writing for example Mm. Uh, uh, which doesn't mean that uh, half of the book is written by one and the other half by another. Yeah, no. Uh, we complement each other in some part. So at the end, uh, every book is reviewed by both. Uh, so at, at the end, uh, in some book, it is hard to say who wrote what. But uh, um, but um, yes, we work together because in this way, we can also uh, recycle more our job. For example, uh, the sessions that we have uh, uh, 
when we travel and we deliver a workshop or a course somewhere, we usually try to deliver also some community session in the local yeah. area. And uh, we try to prepare a certain number of sessions that we can recycle over one or two years so that uh, yes. because uh, you cannot uh, <laughs> generate a new session every every week of course no <laughs> and, uh, and uh, also because in this way we can prepare a better quality material for for the slides for the demos and uh, i think the experience is much better that's so, great well speaking of uh, conferences and things where will people see you coming up I will be on April 10 in Chicago because there is uh, the Past Business Analytics Conference uh, 2015. Mm -hmm. I will be in uh, at SQL Beats in Nottingham in United Kingdom. Great. On uh, second from second to fourth of May, mm -hmm. I will be in New Orleans uh, at Techhead North America and. Uh, uh, this is at the beginning of June, and the Tech at the Europe in Madrid at the end right. of June. So these are, I think, I oh yes, and uh, of course I will be also in Italy for the SQL mm -hmm. Server and Business Intelligence Conference at the end of May. And this is a, a, a conference that is a, a, an Italian conference. So if you love listening Italian language, then uh, it, it's a nice uh, conference in Milan. It's uh, also good food, but if you just to speak English, it will be just nice to hear, but you will not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's so funny. The, I did uh, put a little bit of effort into learning Italian at one stage. I had uh, I was playing soccer for an Italian uh, club, actually, uh, in Brisbane. Uh, it was originally called Azzurri, but it was uh, uh, became became Brisbane City. <laughs> and okay. so, uh, and uh, it was interesting that the entire team was all italian apart from me yeah. and there was one there was one greek guy in the team which which was good because they they always picked on the greek guy instead of me <laughs> <laughs> and so that was uh that was great but i must admit most of the italian i learned there was probably very conversational yeah. italian at the soccer club yeah so uh, not not very polite <laughs> no, oh good. we have i i'm always uh i always say guys in in um in English, uh, you have so few words, so few bad words. In Italian, <laughs> we have uh, so many bad words that uh, we we do not have uh, a, an entire dictionary. Is not enough. Is uh, you know, so many, so many. We are That's more lovely. creative about uh, bad words. Yes. <laughs> no good. Listen, thank you so very much today yeah, for your well. time, Marco. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you very much.